I think I think it's mainly kind of a, a phrase that sometimes people use of um, I run for those who can't. You know, I've heard that many times, and I think I just want to push back on on anyone who might use that and and kind of challenge the assumption of uh, thinking that maybe someone can't run and you know thinking about you know what can we do to make sure that that person can have the same opportunity and I think that's a really important aspect for me as an individual with a disability uh, a lot of times it's all about chasing these you know the first amputee to do something uh, but it's really important to, important to make sure I'm not the last one doing that either and making sure that other people are getting to that starting line too and just challenging our assumptions about what people are capable of doing. And it's, it's I, I believe that every human is, is capable of uh, anything that they set their mind to and with the right support system, with the right equipment. And really it's just a matter of um, helping each other to make sure that we can get access to that. So here's the question, how do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. All right. Welcome, everyone. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast. And it is Monday, and we are adding a double dose of spark to your Monday night within the Healthy Runner Facebook group, because I am here with not one, but two guests to talk to you about a very special topic tonight. We are going coast to coast today with Nicole Bear Kylan out west um, over in Washington state and someone very close to my hometown in Cheshire, Connecticut, Doug Levins is with us today. Uh, welcome to the show, Nicole. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And welcome, Doug. Good to see you. Yeah. Good seeing you too. So normally we get right into it, but I really wanted our audience to get a little background on who you both are, because I think it is so important for what we'll be talking about in this episode so Nicole Verkylin lost her left leg below the knee to cancer at age 10 and has made it her life's goal to expand access to physical activity for individuals with disabilities. Nicole has completed a 1,500-mile triathlon down the Pacific coast to raise awareness for amputee rights, lobbied members of Congress in Washington, D.C., and summited Ecuador's toughest peak 19,347 foot volcano Cotopaxi with the Range of Motion Project. So her documentary film, 1500 Miles, is currently touring the country and has been honored by 12 international film festivals, including a Best Documentary Award. So Nicole races triathlon competitively and was recently crowned the national champion at the 2019 Paratriathlon National Championships. That is amazing. Um, Nicole is also the founder of a nonprofit advocacy organization, Forest Stump, with the mission of promoting equitable access to physical activity for individuals with disabilities. Forest Stump recently launched a national campaign called Hashtag, we just felt like running, 
and petition to Congress for the rights of Americans with disabilities to exercise. So you can find out more and take action. Um, we're going to let you know all about that during today's episode. And my man, Doug, a uh, local Connecticut guy, is a USA triathlon level two elite and youth and junior certified coach. He has been coaching triathlon for over 15 years. He is currently the head coach of the Gaylord Sports Performance Association's para triathlon team and NYTT, the Nutmeg Youth Triathlon Team. His athletes range from beginners just learning the sport to podium finishers at both the national championship and world championship level. Um, as an athlete, Doug himself is active in multi-sport, having national championship podium finishes in both triathlon and aqua bike. Most recently, he represented the USA at the 2019 ITU Multisport World Championships in Spain. So that is pretty amazing. And I'm not surprised why this guy is always finishing ahead of me in our age group in all of our local road races here in Connecticut. So in this episode, both Nicole and Doug will share some pretty inspiring stories from athletes with amputations, visual impairments, spinal cord injuries, and neuromuscular disorders. Despite what you may believe, this not is what disables them. They are disabled by the outdated discriminatory healthcare policies that deny us access to active, healthy life. And here on the Healthy Runner podcast, we are all about staying active and healthy. So I am very, very excited to have these two on today to educate us and to bring some of these issues more to the forefront. So we help, we hope after today that these stories are really going to help you understand and inspire you and compel you to recognize that our own mobility and take action in the fight for justice and equality for all. So every episode, we get started with a nice dynamic warm-up here. The first question we're going to ask you, and I already gave your formal introductions, but uh, Nicole, let's start with you. Tell us uh, where you're from and what do you do? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a Midwest girl, born and raised in Minnesota, and then also lived in Michigan for a while. Um, I'm an amputee. I'm an athlete. I'm an activist uh, and founder of the nonprofit Forest Stump, which I'm excited to share more about today and the journey I took three years ago and kind of what has transpired since then in terms of fighting for access to better prosthetic technology, wheelchairs, everything that allows individuals like myself to be active and to participate in sport. Um, I'm out in Seattle, Washington now, so I'm a, a West Coaster now and uh, dealing with the forest fires and smoke uh, that's out here. I ended up doing a 16 mile uh, training run yesterday. I'm training for my first marathon and ended up doing that 16 mile run uh, with a respirator uh, for those 16 miles. So glad to have that done. Glad to have a, a rest day today and excited to be on here with you guys. Wow, that's pretty amazing because as I was telling before we jumped on here, our uh, team Healthy Runners yesterday had our 11-mile run. We're training for a half marathon, the uh, Hartford Half Marathon here in Connecticut that is going virtual. So the fact that you did 16, I'm just like jealous. And the fact you did it with a respirator um, is pretty, pretty amazing. So hopefully you're staying uh, safe out there out west and hopefully some of your friends and family are safe as well. Um, so just tell me, Nicole, why do you like to run or work with uh, the running community? I mean, running is something that 
I feel is able to give me a sense of meditation beyond any other activity activity I've ever done. It's you just get into this zone where you just are kind of transported, you know, almost outside your body and you can just kind of like focus on and think about all different types of things. I just love the, I just love what it feels like to run. And it really wasn't until I got into college that I really started to appreciate what that was like. And I, this one summer, I decided to do kind of a 5k every single day for the entire summer. I was doing that all on a walking leg. Um, and it was just, completely um, liberating to be able to to do that. And when I came back that following fall, I ran in a race and just being able to participate in that way with all these other people in this running community, it was just absolutely incredible. One of the biggest races I did was in uh, Michigan when I went to the University of Michigan there in Ann Arbor, it's called the Big House Big Heart and you get to run through uh, the city in Ann Arbor and then you end uh, on the field at the Big House and you're running alongside 10,000 other people and it was just that sense of energy and community. I just fell in love with running. Wow, that's that's pretty awesome. Now, when you say walking leg, just uh, because I know you, we had mentioned in your intro that you um, are an amputee. So walking leg is not made for running. It's, it's an everyday leg, essentially, a prosthetic leg. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So the walking leg is basically built for you to walk kind of heel toe and really... Um, maximizes your ability to walk with kind of a normal walking gait versus when you're running, it's very different. Um, this is kind of, I'm sure a lot of people have seen, you know, a running blade. Basically my walking leg um, and my walking foot is a very toned down version of this blade. And the, um, it, it doesn't have as much kind of spring to it, but because of the running blade, when you compress this and it springs back, it provides a lot more energy return when you're running, which is what you need. Um, to be able to, you know, kind of maximize the energy return that your other, you know, leg is just doing normally. So, and the thing there is with a, a running blade, uh, it's not meant for walking. Um, so walking on a running leg kind of feels like as if you were just rock walking on your tiptoes the entire time. So yeah, they're specifically designed prosthetics based on walking, based on running. You can even get uh, prosthetics specific to swimming or biking. Uh, but all of those are not covered by insurance. Wow. Wow. No, that's uh thank you for educating us on that. And actually um, it's kind of ironic because the actual first ever continuing education course that I went to as a physical therapist, when I first graduated, I was literally a PT for like two months um, was actually a evening seminar held by hanger um, prosthetics that was doing a kind of how to run um, for amputees. And it was like a two or three hour, you know, talking about running for amputees. And here I am just like fresh out of school and just learning about prosthetics for my board exam. And I was like, I didn't even know, you know, they can do this. And I was just like fascinated. And it's just weird how now 17 years later, we're here talking about running um, for amputees. And so thank you for educating us on that. So Doug, tell us, uh, tell us, you know, uh, give us your little intro and, um, your dynamic warm up. All right. Um, so as Wayne mentioned earlier, he and I are close to being neighbors. I also live in Cheshire, Connecticut, been here uh, about 18 years. And, um, I wear a lot of hats during the day. I am, uh, aside from being a father, 
and a husband. I work at the Cheshire Community YMCA where I'm in charge of fundraising and special events. I am the head cross-country coach at Hamden Hall Day School. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I coach a USA high-performance youth team, the Nutmeg Youth Triathlon team, and I'm also the head coach of the Gaylord Paratriathlon team. And I think that um, some of the tenets of the YMCA really sum up what I am passionate about, which the three tenants are youth development, healthy living, and social responsibility. And I think this, you know, this podcast is hits on those last two, which is healthy living and social responsibility. So I'm really excited to be able to help get the message out for Nicole and to your crowd and your community and let people know what it takes and some of the difficulties that you know are going on with some of my athletes uh as well as nicole and a lot of the other uh disabled athletes out there that just want to get out there and do their thing that's awesome and i don't even know if you knew this but i actually started my career at gaylord so that was where i had my first uh job as a pt and yeah gaylord was very good to me i had some great years there um i was actually there for like 12 years um, of my career. So I was familiar mm-hmm. back then with the sports association and I worked with, um, earlier in my career, I kind of did kind of everything, just trying to find out, you know, where my niche was and what I wanted to work with. So I did see a lot of neurologically impaired, um, patients, spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries. And then we saw, I saw a lot of amputee patients as well and worked on kind of getting them back to walking. And so, I eventually went down more of like a post-surgical orthopedic sports medicine route and kind of went to specialize there and went to Gaylord's offsite um, in North Haven um, that was affiliated with Jim. But yeah, it's weird how things uh, work out and come full circle. But I know the sports association has been amazing, even back then, how many things that they were doing for a lot of our former patients and really getting them back active and having something to look forward to, right? Because their lives have been really altered um, during whether it's a traumatic injury or, you know, how they did get injured. And I know you guys do some great work. So I'm sure we'll probably highlight uh, some of that today. So um, Doug, why don't you, uh, let's give us your little follow-up here on why you like to run and uh, why do you like to work with the running community? Uh, well, I, I think it, it parallels a lot with what Nicole said with that meditative piece of it. You know, for myself as a runner, um, most recently I do a lot of trail running. I love being outside and I love being in the woods and there's definitely that meditative aspect to it. And as far as the coaching goes, I love the fact that running is a life skill and a, life, a lifelong thing. And it allows me as a coach to work with athletes to stretch their boundaries, to test themselves, also to learn more about their bodies. Like if you're doing it right, you're breathing, you're, you know, you've got a better proprioception of what's going on. And it's also a good way to stay healthy. And that's what I try to teach all my athletes is, you know, whether you're going for a race or whether you're just trying to stay active, you know, especially like we're in the position where we're at right now, where there aren't many races is still go out and run, but go out and run because it's fun, you know, go out and enjoy it. Don't worry about your time. Keep the, you know, throw the watch away for now. Stick it in a drawer and go out and find something new. Go, go longer than you have. Go different routes that you have and just go out and enjoy it. 
Nice. So running for the fun of it. I love it. Exactly. And it can be fun. And, you know, everybody get, you know, people when it's race season, they get too caught up in what was my pace? What was this? What was my heart rate? What was whatever? I've enjoyed this summer because I've got no training plan and I'm just going out there and doing it. And it's awesome. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people during COVID have kind of found that as well. Um, and to really mix things, it really forced us, right, to almost slow down a little bit and yeah. not be so, you know, to our calendars and, and to our paces. And like you said, uh, you know, watching our watches. Let's get into uh, today's topic of choice here. So we're going to kind of go back and forth um, between Nicole um, and Doug here. So Nicole, first question is for you. Um, what is Forrest Stump and why did you create it? Yeah, definitely. So kind of as I mentioned earlier, uh, that one summer I went home and just started running every single day. It was really the first time that I'd ever done a 5k. And then I, you know, went home and decided, you know, I really want to get good at running, did a 5k every single day that summer, I ended up coming back, uh, racing and then placing first in my age group. And it was just a really exciting uh, moment for me that, you know, it's like, hey, maybe this is something that I can get, you know, really good at. And so continue to run, continue to set those goals higher and higher, doing, going from like a 5K to a 10K to a half marathon. Um, but through that process, you know, I was doing all of that on a walking leg. And as I explained earlier, you know, walking prosthesis does not, does not return the amount of energy that you really need. And I can, the, the best way to explain it, it's like as if you had a brick attached to your foot and you were trying to run with that you know, just lugging that along. I mean, it's really, it really causes some major asymmetries and uh, causes you to overcompensate on your, you know, your sound side. And so what I ended up uh, doing was I developed a sacral torsion pelvic asymmetry, was in physical therapy twice a week, just major back pain. I'd wake up in the morning, try to put my socks on and was just, you know, in tears with so much pain, um, but really wanted to, you know, do that. My first half marathon just kind of stuck it out ended up finishing it um, just in under two hours and 30 minutes. And, you know, I felt really good about that, but also was just incredibly kind of disheartened because I was like, you know, hey, you know, I want to be a runner. I want to get to the point of running more half marathons, running a marathon at some point. But, you know, my prosthesis is just breaking down constantly. And, you know, I'm in physical therapy twice a week. You know, is this really for me? So I ended up going to my prosthetist. And, you know, a little background on this, you know, I, this wasn't the first time that I had experienced issues with my prosthesis. I mean, this is kind of a constant for me growing up and for any amputee, it's, um, you know, a pretty regular thing to have issues with your prosthesis in terms of it breaking down or you having to try and get a new foot and you're on the sidelines for two weeks waiting for a new part to come in. Or even, you know, when I was 10 years old, you know, I wanted to play in the water with my friends and my prosthesis wasn't waterproof and uh, insurance denied access to a waterproof prosthesis saying that it's a convenience item. And that's still the same policy that exists today. Nothing related to that has changed. So, you know, I went to my prosthetist, I'm, you know, just completed this half marathon, was really excited about my athletic potential and said, hey, let's try and build a prosthesis that will withstand this amount of activity level and will also be covered by my insurance. And so we ended up going through 26 appointments over the course of a year. I used up all my sick time. I was working at the University of Michigan at that point and ended up with the exact same prosthesis that I'd had for the past five years. And it was just incredibly frustrating because 
you know, I'm seeing in the media, you know, these running blades, I'm seeing people who do have access and I'm, you know, questioning, you know, why can't I get access to something like this? And so that's when I realized, you know, I wasn't the only one that was experiencing this, that there were, you know, countless other amputees and just individuals with disabilities that are coming up against these constant roadblocks, just trying to be physically active. And so that's when I decided to quit my job and take on a 1500 mile triathlon down the West Coast, uh, starting in Seattle and ending in San Diego. And so my friend Kathleen, who we had done our first half marathon together, she wanted to do it uh, with me, as well as uh, my partner who's a prosthetist. And we uh, recruited my mom to drive the camper down the coast. So there's four of us doing this together. And, you know, we were brainstorming, you know, what could we call this? And at first, when we were thinking about it, we were like, oh, we could run across the country. And I was like, oh, that'd be like, you know, Forrest Gump. And then, you know, we thought of the Forrest Gump name and it just kind of stuck from there. So we did this two month, you know, awareness journey, got to meet so many different people and organizations throughout that time period. And at the end of that journey is when I found out about the Challenge Athletes Foundation and ended up going to one of their biggest events of the year. And to my complete surprise, they granted me my very first running blade at the end of that journey. And it was an incredibly emotional experience. And that whole journey you can watch uh, on our website. Uh, it's documented through a, a short documentary film called uh, 1500 Miles, 17 Minutes Long. Uh, but that getting access to that running blade, just absolutely amazing. And you know, I had to go back to my prosthetist and it took us a few months to actually make it and align it, you know, get it dialed in. But you know, I was so nervous to put it on for the first time because I'd already, I'd only seen it, you know, on these elite athletes and, you know, didn't think of myself, you know, in that way. And it was like, am I going to be able to use this thing? I mean, it looks so funky, um, but I put it on and it was the most natural thing in the world. It felt like I had my leg back and just the amount of energy return on it. I mean, you can feel it right away. Um, and it also shaved off two minutes per mile immediately, which was just absolutely incredible. I mean, that's just how much harder my body was working um, by running on a walking leg. So since then, we've founded Forest Stump as a 501c3 nonprofit advocacy organization and are continuing this message. And we've broadened it to be about more than just amputees, because through that process, I've been able to meet other individuals who, you know, whether they have a spinal cord injury or a visual impairment, or whatever it might be, they're facing the exact same obstacles. It might not be a prosthesis, but it's you know a wheelchair or access to a sighted guide or an orthosis, same sort of thing. Insurance doesn't cover any of these things to be able to provide access uh, to sport and athletics. And so that's something that Forest Stump is committed to from a justice issue, from a you know a legal perspective of expanding access to these assistive technologies and services so that we can all have the right to exercise. Absolutely. Wow. That, that's a pretty amazing story. First and foremost, uh, the courage you had to quit your job and just go down the coast is just amazing. I love that story. And I was wondering if the name came from Forrest Gump. I was like, I wonder if it did. Um, My favorite film growing up. I know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that movie. Oh my goodness. That is just an amazing uh, movie. Um, so many good things about that movie. Um, so yes, thank you for sharing that story. That's amazing. And I, I think I, yeah, I cannot agree more in terms of, um, you know, having access to sport and just, you know, thinking about, and I'm sure we'll probably get into this, but just thinking about 
how many of the comorbidities would be prevented if people were allowed to be more active and if insurance is actually reimbursed for that type of um, care. And again, it's kind of everything that I kind of preach in the wellness model and preventative care as opposed to reactive and quote unquote sick care. So mm -hmm. why wait till someone develops type two diabetes because now they're obese and they've been inactive. Um, and then you can pay for all of the medications and all of that and surgeries, you know, they reimburse for that, but they won't reimburse for something that is going to actually prevent uh, some of those um, adverse effects. Um, right. So I'm sure. Yeah, no, I, I thank you for bringing uh, that up. So a uh, next question is for you, Doug. So first off, um, in your bio, you talked about coaching paratriathlon. So first off, what is paratriathlon? And then how did you wind up uh, getting into coaching that? So um, I get the depth of paratriathlon is just, it's the same as the triathlon. It's, there are just different categories for different disabilities. There are wheelchair categories. So with the wheelchair athletes, they will be in, they'll swim, then they will get on a hand cycle. So instead of pedaling with their legs, they're pedaling with their arms. Um, it looks like a trike a lot of time, you know, like low to the ground. And then for the running portion of it, they will be in a racing wheelchair. Uh, okay. And then, so that's one aspect of it. Uh, another one is visually impaired. So visually impaired athletes will be tethered together with a guide uh, through the swim. Then they'll get on a tandem bicycle with the sighted athlete, obviously in front and the, um, the visually impaired athlete in the back. And then when they go to the run, they'll be tethered together for the run. And there are, then there are um, athletes like Nicole who have different um, levels of amputation, either upper body or lower body amputation or combination. And they're all categories based on that, but they do the same exact race as everybody else that's able-bodied. Nice. And then how did you yeah. wind up getting involved with coaching? It, it was really by happenstance, actually. I was um, on the um usa triathlon website i was a certified coach in connecticut and i had just written down that i was a youth coach and the director of the sports association at gaylord uh called me up and was like hey do you know anybody that'd be interested in coaching our paratriathlon team i said well i don't know tell me a little bit more about it and i'll think of somebody and after spending five minutes with her i'm like this is awesome because i love getting people into doing the sport of triathlon and i was like this is perfect so it was like a quick conversation, went in for an interview, and by, you know, I, in a month, I was the head coach for the team, and then another month later, I was out in Wisconsin uh, doing some education. I uh, was lucky enough to be a guest coach for an organization called Dare to Try out of Chicago, which is a very large advocacy and coaching organization for uh, disabled athletes and they had me out there Nicole was actually one of the athletes out at the camp and that's how we had met and I got to meet all kinds of athletes of all different you know all different ability levels and it was it's an amazing ride because I'm able to take my triathlon knowledge and my knowledge of the human body and work with each individual athlete and it's almost like a puzzle we have to figure out what um, different types of adaptations and what different types of changes we have to make 
for that individual athlete. You know, everybody is completely different. There, there is no cookie cutter approach. Like you, you know, as, as a running, you know, trying to coach people with running, there's no cookie cutter approach to an athlete when you add, you're just adding one more variable, you know, or, you know, an exponential different variable almost sometimes. Um, but it's amazing to see because when you have success, when that light bulb goes off, it's the best feeling in the world. Absolutely. I can imagine. And I'm sure even for you too, right? It's, it's a great challenge to have. And, you yeah. know, you obviously, you know, we talked about your personal kind of accolades and you like that competitive edge, but it sounds like it even took your coaching to a new level and yeah. added that challenge um, in terms of your, your coaching. Yeah. Well, bo- I mean, both from a challenge standpoint, but also from an appreciation of the sport and, the joy that I get out of the sport, the uh, two weeks ago, I had one of my visually impaired athletes. We were tethered together with a bungee cord, and I guided her through a two-mile open water swim, then a one-mile open water swim, then a half-mile open water swim. And that was 100% about her. It was amazing. And last summer, I had one of my youth athletes who is hemiplegic, had a, had a stroke when she was younger, and I guided her, her through a couple of local triathlons to Lake Caramungus, training her for the Youth Paranational Championships. She won the national championships. It's amazing seeing these kids and, you know, just all the different athletes. It's, you know, like I enjoy that more than my own successes at this point. Right. No, I... I could imagine like that feeling must be amazing. And just to see, you know, them accomplish that. And I'm sure most of them maybe thought they would never do something like that. And for you to guide them, that is, that is pretty awesome. Um, So Nicole, let's get into the, the title of this episode to actually hashtag, we just felt like running. So what is this new advocacy campaign uh, that you recently launched? Yeah, so we're building off of the work that Forrest Gump has been doing over the past few years and really trying to bring to light. You know, a lot of us feel like running and just getting out the door and going for that, but individuals with disabilities often have, you know, these roadblocks uh, to be able to just, you know, we might feel like running, but what do we need access to to be able to go and actually make that happen? Um, and so this campaign, we're asking the community to come together to help us bring this message to Congress in terms of the rights of Americans with disabilities to exercise. And so we're, we've formed a virtual race that we're, we'll be doing on October 3rd. And we're asking the community to come together to help us race across the US, all 2,758 miles, which I hand plotted the rod out on Strava and uh, pledge miles, whether it's running, biking, swimming, hand cycling, uh, whatever you wanna do on that day. Uh, pledge miles towards it and help us deliver this petition to Congress. You know, like I was mentioning earlier, these, you know, access to prosthetics, wheelchairs, orthoses, you know, sighted guides, uh, a lot of those things are huge barriers for our community to not have access to because they're not um, covered by health insurance. They're deemed to be not medically necessary and therefore not covered, but otherwise they're prohibitively expensive. So something like you know, a running blade, which I talked about, can range, you know, for someone like myself, and I still have my knee, um, I'm a below knee amputee, it can range anywhere between fifteen dollars to $20,000. For someone who's an above knee amputee, it could be up to $60,000. 
You know, same thing with uh, sports wheelchairs, you know, the hand cycle or a push rim, those can be anywhere between two to $6,000. Um, same thing with orthotics, up to $9,000 for something that's more high activity level that allows someone to run. So these things are really expensive and without coverage by insurance, uh, our community can't have access to them. And, you know, it was really interesting kind of talking about the economic costs and kind of preventative care versus kind of reactive care. And that's exactly it. I mean, the disability community, only one in two of the disability community are actually physically active, meaning that, you know, the 50% uh, of the community gets absolutely no aerobic activity. And part of that is, you know, the barrier to accessing the appropriate technology that allows us to be physically active. And other parts of it is having access to the resources, the, to the community, to the physical education of what it uh, looks like to be an adaptive athlete. And I love what Doug is doing. I love what Dare to Try and all these organizations are doing as well to provide access to that. And so that's something that we're bringing to Congress as a petition to say that our community deserves to have access uh, to physical activity and exercise and asking Congress to take action on this to expand access. Uh, finally, after so many years of, you know, we've, we've passed civil rights le legislation for the community with the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's been 30 years now. So it's time that we expand access to the physical fitness and sports uh, area and system for the disability community. Nice, no, thank you for educating us on that. And I just, so Doug, Nicole talked about some of the limitations in healthcare coverage. What, what are some of the things that you see or made you realize that there's really this need for better healthcare coverage for disabled athletes that you work with? It, it was really, it, it actually came out of um, her virtual run, the forest stump idea. Like I had, you know, when I started coaching, I saw what Gaylord was providing, what Deirdre Tribes was providing, where they would have tandem bicycles that people could borrow, or they would have a hand cycle or a racing chair, things that, you know, the equipment side of things that people could borrow. And I knew that those were expensive, and I would help athletes write grants to try and get that equipment. And so when I saw on Facebook that Nicole had this virtual event, I read about it, and I said, oh, that's a good idea had no idea what they go through. And then this summer, um, we were on a Zoom call the, because we weren't able to get together as a team. So we were doing Zoom workouts and different things. And one of the things I brought up was this event. And I said, hey, I think it would be a good idea for, for us to do this. What do you guys think? Not having any real behind the scenes knowledge because a lot of times they don't complain about it. You know, like they just, it's part of life and they deal with it. But I had, I think eight athletes on the line and I was hearing stories of like one athlete that she was told initially she didn't need a prosthesis because she had crutches and she could do her work. She could do her job without a prosthesis because she had crutches and had to fight. And actually that's someone who Nicole knows because that that woman ended up down in DC having to fight to get a prosthesis and just the different story, like another story, the white canes for visually impaired athletes for visually impaired people. Apparently not all insurances cover the white cane. Like wow. you would think that's a base, right. So like it was unbelievably eye opening to see 
what they go through and the things that they have to do. You know, so it's for me, it just brought a whole new level of what they have to deal with and what they do on a daily basis, you know, a daily basis. And, um, you know, other athletes having, you know, you, you'll, you'll know this from the physical therapy side of things. Physical therapy insurance likes to, likes to cover acute issues. When someone has a chronic neurological issue and they need physical therapy all the time, insurance doesn't like to cover that. Right. Yeah. Because it's maintenance care. They right. Call it, right. <laughs> they don't like maintenance. They want right. to fix an acute problem and say, okay, now you're good. Go away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, that, that's how it all started. And, you know, it was just from, you know, seeing her Facebook post and a Zoom call. And it really hit home. And that's why, you know, that's why after talking to them and then talking to Nicole, I contacted you and said, we need to get this message out because I work with the community and I had no idea. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, thank you, Nicole, for kind of getting this message out and creating this movement. And I know you talked about the virtual race and I thank Doug for sharing it with me. He actually emailed it to me and I, I read it and I was like, wow, this is, and yeah, there were a lot of things I didn't even know about in that uh, email. And then, you know, I, I had Doug reach out to you and, you know, wanted to get you on the show to share this with more people, but even, I know you talked about the virtual race. So a lot of um, our local folks here in Connecticut are actually doing a local Wallingford 5k um, on that date, uh, October 3rd. So we will be running a race on that day. So I know I signed up for your virtual race, pledged the miles and sponsored um, an athlete from the Gaylord uh, Sports Association. So we're looking forward to that. So I would highly encourage you guys um, to check, check out the virtual race. But what is this actual petition that you mentioned um, Nicole, that's going to Congress. How does it, you mentioned the ADA um, and the Disabilities Act 1990, or even like, how does it relate to Title IX? Um, what is this petition actually calling for? Yeah, definitely. So um, if people are familiar, in 1990, it was a, the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, which was one of the biggest civil rights pieces of legislation for the community that, you know, eliminated um, discrimination based on disability. And a lot of what that legislation did was provide and state in law that individuals with disabilities have the right to participate in all facets of society. And the way that it ended up kind of rolling out then, it was a lot related to transportation, um, employment, you know, disability parking spaces, access ramps, those kinds of things. But one area and one facet of society that it has not yet um, kind of expanded that uh, right uh, to participate is in sports and physical activity. And I like to liken it in a sense to Title IX just because of people's um, familiarity with uh, what Title IX did for uh, the female community and women in terms of access in sport. Similarly, you know, there was a point in time where people didn't believe women were capable of being athletic, weren't capable of running marathons, all of that. I mean, the same sort of thing for the disability community. And it's still a challenge for us today is people don't think that we can do these things, but the Paralympic movement has definitely proven that we are capable of just as much as everyone else, uh, if not more, you know, just based on our will, our motivation to succeed. 
and we can do anything we set our minds to as long as we have the right equipment and the right support system. And so that uh, notion within Title IX definitely eliminated a lot of barriers for women to be able to have access to sport. And it's really incredible to look at the numbers there where women in collegiate sports since uh, Title IX was passed, uh, the increase in women in collegiate sports has gone up uh, 900 uh, plus percent and for high school sports has gone up 500 plus percent. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And I'd love to see something like that happen for the disability community. So it's not exactly the same type of um, piece of uh, a, a law from a legal perspective, but would love to use that as a, a reference in terms of what's possible for this community in terms of seeing uh, athletes with disabilities have better access, have better access to physical education, have access to these uh, specific assistive technologies uh, and services. And so that's specifically what the petition is calling for is for Congress to commit to eliminating these barriers and you know, really doing something about it. And something I wanted to kind of share you know, that you guys had brought up earlier um, in relation to you know, having access to this you know, support network and you know, really what it's like for an athlete in terms of our, our barriers. I mean, it is something that we often don't talk about because it is just kind of the way it is. We don't wanna complain. We, we just wanna you know, accept it and kind of move on and, and move forward. But it is so important to share these stories. And the more that I've been part of this you know, community, actually getting involved with the disability community, which it's very interesting, even though I've had a disability for most of my life, it wasn't really until three years ago that I actually got involved with the disability community and started to realize this. I didn't really know that many people that had disabilities. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, my first triathlon, just as an example of what, you know, it kind of takes for an individual with a disability, you know, I called the race director ahead of time. Uh, I said, hey, you know, could you guys have someone down by the water that can just watch my leg because I have to take it off and then swim without it? They said, no problem. So I show up and said, hey, you know, do you guys have someone that can, you know, help hold onto my leg? And they're like, nope, sorry, we're too busy. And this is my you know, very first triathlon race that I was doing. And I was just kind of freaking out. Like, what am I gonna do? You know, my leg's not waterproof. You know, I'm kind of having to make this decision of, and am I gonna continue on with this race and you know, wear my leg in the water and potentially damage this $15,000 piece of equipment? Or am I just gonna leave it on you know, the side of the beach here and not sure if it's gonna even be there when I come out? And luckily, you know, this, this family kind of heard me talking to my friends about it who were doing the race with me. And they're like, hey, we'll watch it for you. And so, I mean, that just took like a huge load off, but a lot of people don't have to worry about those kinds of things. And um, I mean, that's just kind of one example of, of what we kind of go through and type of the, the barriers we face. But I mean, other stories like mine, I mean, it took 16 years, you know, I waited 16 years before I got access to something that I needed to run. And so I started to, you know, ask other people what it was like for them and, you know, same stories, you know, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, people waiting and waiting and waiting until they got access to an organization, a charity, nonprofit that provided a grant to them. And so really the only way that individuals have access right now is either through charity um, or through uh, if they're wealthy or elite athletes. And uh, this isn't something that someone should have to rely on donations for. That was kind of the point of the Americans with Disabilities Act, that it shouldn't be something that someone has to rely on charity for, but is a basic human right to be able to be active and to be healthy. 
And if you kind of dig into it from a healthcare standpoint too, you know, if let's say you get injured and you tear your ACL, um, if you want to get back to being active, to being a runner, you can go in and have your ACL surgery and have that covered by insurance, no problem. And, you know, that surgery in and of itself is anywhere between twenty dollars to $50,000. And they'll cover that, um, you know, no problem. But when it comes to, you know, what I need to run, it's not covered. So there's a big uh, discrepancy there and, and really just discrimination that's going on. And so that's something that this petition is working to put an end to uh, this blatant discrimination and provide better access for our community. Yes, yes, and yes. Wow. You just dropped so many uh, golden nuggets there that I completely agree with. Um, thank you. I, you just said that so well. And I think everyone can relate to that. Everyone can relate to being at a race and being stressed out about where the water station is, right? Or if it's too hot and you actually have a long sleeve shirt on. Like think about what Nicole was feeling when she didn't know if there was gonna be someone there to watch her leg, right? Or if it was gonna be there. Um, so just kind of putting that in perspective is like, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine what you were going through um, at that race. And I do like how you correlated that well with a surgery and an injury or so and same thing, like pops their Achilles tendon and all right, we're going to repair that Achilles tendon and we got an Achilles tendon rupture so you can go back running. Um, but I like how you said that th this is really impairing your ability or access to being able to run, being able to be active. Um, and I also, I also like how you, really tied that into and, and, and looked at the similarities between title nine. And even just thinking about that, I think now we take that for granted. And like, I have two daughters. So for me, you know, my daughter's trying out actually tomorrow for um, high school volleyball. And so she's a volleyball player. And just thinking about that probably 20, 30 years ago, she wouldn't have been playing volleyball, I would imagine. Um, and we take that for granted. And now it's, it's kind of normal. So hopefully, hopefully it doesn't take us 20, 30 years, right, for individuals with disabilities to feel the same way or kids growing up that they will be able to participate in these sports, in these activities, because they will actually have the access to the equipment that they need and the resources that they need to be able to participate. So this is amazing movement. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with everything all the points that you have brought up and um, Doug, how can individuals um, who are listening to this get involved to help out with this movement? So there's really two distinct and interconnected ways that people can get involved with this. And Nicole has mentioned them. I think both of them um, in her uh, past comment, number one is the advocacy piece. You know, we need to make changes so that athletes have and disabled athletes have what they need to go out and lead, lead an active lifestyle. And the way to do that is, you know, she's, we have the virtual run coming up on October 3rd, join the virtual run, pledge miles, do those things, and hopefully get the message out there, get the message to Congress, make the changes we need to make in the healthcare system so that uh, people have access that they need to have access. But in the meantime, there are other ways to help the athletes, and there are organizations like the Gaylord Sports Association, which um, does take donations, and they also do fundraising events. 
there's Dare to Try, there's an organization in Texas called Catapult, there's the Challenged Athlete Foundation, which Nicole had mentioned previously that uh, had gifted her her first, uh, her first running leg. Uh, they're very big into this. And then Achilles, which is another organization that helps disabled athletes. And all of these organizations are, they raise funds to be able to support athletes to meet their goals and to be able to be given the opportunity to enjoy sports and enjoy life the way able-bodied people are. So until we get legislation changed and until it becomes available to them, the best way to support an athlete right now is to donate to one of these organizations or attend one of their fundraising events. Nice. So I think you had mentioned, so basically we're looking to sign the petition, right? That is, is kind of going to Congress now sign up for the virtual event. And actually Kat says that she's actually running a virtual marathon on that day. And she's going to pledge all of those miles um, to this cause. So, and then I, and then I think the third thing you had mentioned is really just supporting one of those organizations, right? That is going to be helping out yes. um, these athletes. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Doug, there. So, Nicole, what is the most frustrating thing um, about having a disability or what's the most frustrating thing about advocating for disability rights? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, it's a very interesting question to kind of reflect on. And I've had a lot of time to kind of think about it over the past few years, especially from an advocacy perspective. Um, and I, what I like to tell people is, you know, oftentimes people might assume that the most frustrating thing for me is, oh, you're missing your leg or you have to wear the prosthesis or all of that. But really, I mean, that's, that becomes very natural. I mean, if you have the right support system, you get access to a great prosthesis, you know, you, you deal with that and, and you work through it. But really, the most frustrating thing for me is knowing that it's not the missing limb that is what's disabling me. It's really these policies that are keeping me from having access to what I need. And the fact that I even have to fight for this in the fir first place as an athlete with a disability, that I have to somehow prove that you know physical activity benefits the disability community, or that I have to prove that having access to a running blade uh, that allows me to, you know, for me, I can say that, you know, it feels so much better. I'm in less pain. My prosthesis lasts so much longer. It's better for my sound side. I'm not overcompensating as much, but I have to kind of list out all of these points as to why it is that I need something like this when everyone else kind of just takes for granted that they have access to this, that they have access to what they need to be athletic and to have a system set up that supports you, I think is really the thing that a lot of people take for granted, just going about your daily life, knowing that your, your system supports you. And for someone with a disability or, you know, whether it might be a person of color um, or whatever it might be, any type of minority group, that's when you start to realize that these systems aren't really built to support you and you have to fight for your own rights. And that's really the most frustrating part about it. Um, I think anyone with a disability um, you know, depending on where they're at within that process, you know, it becomes normal life. We, we're proud of who we are. You know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be. Um, but it's really the societal aspect, you know, how people view you, how people treat you 
that becomes the most frustrating part of having a disability. I could imagine. Um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And I can see how those things are frustrating. Like, and I can't even imagine, right? Like personally, obviously, but if, you know, I was working with a runner that um, was basically able to do stairs and be able to walk in their house and they wanted to get back to running, you know, three miles, you know, insurance wouldn't pay for those physical therapy visits because it's, you know, they're independent within their home and they're considered, they don't need skilled physical therapy services. Um, yeah. And that is the reason why I became an out of network provider is because I wanted to help runners be able to get back to their prior level of function that the, you know, insurance companies talk about. And if someone was a runner and they were active, that was their prior level of function, right? Um, or if someone has a goal to take up running and they want to live a healthier life, um, you know, they should be able to do that. So I couldn't even imagine about, you know, what you're talking about and having a, you know, quote unquote disability, uh, whatever that disability may be, or however that's impacting your life and, you know, being told, Hey, you can't do this. Um, so yeah. and in the meantime, seeing insurance companies sponsor marathons, sponsor 5Ks, you know, tell people to get out there and go running. Wow. Um, but then to say to you, no, you know, you're not meant to run, but we want to encourage other people to run. I mean, it's that kind of stuff that just is the blatant in your face, frustrating yes. aspect. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, that is so true. Right. So true. All the big ones, um, all the big races are sponsored by who, right. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, no, that's, as it's, it's, it's got to change. And hopefully this can be the beginning of some of that change. And, you know, what you're doing is just amazing. So I know, Doug, you're very involved with the Gaylord Sports Association, um, which is something here right in our backyard. So how do does Gaylord Sports Association support athletes in need? Well, one of the biggest things they do is they provide opportunities to um people with disabilities to show them, I, th I think Nicole was saying that only one in two disabled uh, individuals actually do any sort of exercise or sport. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with they're not sure what they can do, where they can go. And so Gaylord has probably, I think, 10 or 11 sports that they offer to people, where, you know, from archery and bowling and golf and um they have kayaking they you know so they ski they have the paratriathlon just to provide opportunities for individuals to get out there and to be active and what they do through all their fundraising and all their special events is they make sure that they have the equipment available so that cost and equipment aren't a barrier to entry for somebody to get in and to start being active so they can at least try something out and try the sports out to see. So that, that's really the big thing is they provide low cost programming and they also provide the equipment support that's needed for people to go out there and just try things. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Normal life. Amazing organization, amazing association. Like I said, that's where 
I started my career as physical therapist and I'm very grateful for what I learned at Gaylord and you know, some of their programs are amazing. So thank you for highlighting that. And Nicole, I want to know a 1500 mile triathlon climbing a 19,000 foot volcano winning the power triathlon national championships. So what's next for you? Yeah. I mean, each one of those events just really pushed me, um, as an athlete and the aspect of being able to do them with other people and other amputees was the most, you know, special part about it. So as I had mentioned earlier, and I got to the point of running my first half marathon and I was like, you know, I really wanted to run a marathon after that, but was at this point where I'm like, am I going to be able to do this? And so now that I have this running blade, I mean, it's been absolutely incredible the amount of training I've been able to get in, the consistent training and running that I've been able to do versus, you know, beforehand with the walking leg, it was just, you know, one step forward, two steps back type of thing where, you know, I would be training, I'd be running, and then either my foot would break or I'd get sores on my leg, or I'd just be in so much pain that I just couldn't even run. And now with the running blade, I'm doing times that I've, you know, never been able to get to before. I just feel so strong and so good. Um, and so this next goal is part of this campaign. And on October 3rd is I've committed to run my first uh, marathon. And it's going to be, it's going to be pretty fun. Um, and I, I think it'll be even, it's going to be pretty special in the fact that it's, it's not attached to any race or anything like that. My actual, um, my very first triathlon that I did um, not the race, but right before that, I decided to kind of do my own triathlon without even going to a race. And I set up my own course in Northern Michigan because I could control all the elements. And that was really important for me to be able to say like, Hey, I can do this. I can control this, this aspect of it. So it'll be special for me to kind of do this marathon and set up my own course again, uh, and just go after it. So I'm really looking forward to, to doing that on race day on October 3rd. And you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, hopefully the smoke uh, will be gone by then. Otherwise I'll be doing it in a respirator. So <laughs> more, more challenging and, yeah. um, wow, that, that, that's amazing. So yeah. Uh, congrats and early congrats, I, I should say for your first, uh, 26.2. So kind of we're in the final stretch guys we're getting down to the end here we end every episode um with a little final stretch so the question that i want to know is um we'll start with doug um if you could change one thing about the misconception of individuals with disabilities and running uh what would that be the one thing i would change um you know what i'm going to switch things up because i just said there's one thing, one comment that i want to make that it, it's similar to this but it, i think it's it's some of it may be people's perception of things because i went into coaching paratriathlon i coached everybody just like an able-bodied athlete and so we go through all the sports stuff we go through nutrition stuff and then i decided it was important to talk about the topic of mental toughness and you know as you can see from what Nicole's done in her many things and what I've found out from talking to my athletes, that's a topic that they know much better than I could ever teach it. Just the life they have to live, what they go through, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and the fight that they have to fight is just unbelievable. And it's, you know, I give them so much more credit. Like you were saying, you know, she did 16 miles with, you know, but think about the fight she had to get to get to that 16 miles. It, you know, I got to give Nicole and that's, that's why I was so happy that you decided today to, you know, to bring Nicole on and to bring me on to talk 
talk about this and just share the message. No, well, thank you for coming on. And yeah, so I'll pass that same question to you, Nicole. If we haven't addressed it yet, what is the, uh, if you yeah. could change one thing about the misconception, what would that be? I think, I think it's mainly kind of a, a phrase that sometimes people use of, um, I run for those who can't, you know, I've heard that many times. And I think I just want to push back on, on anyone who might use that and, and kind of challenge the assumption of uh, thinking that maybe someone can't run and, you know, thinking about, you know, what can we do to make sure that that person can have the same opportunity. And I think that's a really important aspect for me as an individual with a disability. Uh, a lot of times it's all about chasing these, you know, the first amputee to do something. Uh, but it's really important to, important to make sure I'm not the last one doing that either and making sure that other people are getting to that starting line too. And just challenging our assumptions about what people are capable of doing. And it's, it's I, I believe that every human is, is capable of uh, anything that they set their mind to and with the right support system, with the right equipment. And really, it's just a matter of um, helping each other to make sure that we can get access to that. Um, so in, in the future, I'd hope people don't, you know, use that phrase of, you know, I run for those who can't, because instead of that, let's figure out how we can get those who maybe aren't currently running to get to the point where they're running, or we're running as a team, or we're, you know, pushing someone or getting them access to a prosthesis or a wheelchair, or whatever that might be. So that's kind of the misconception that, you know, I'd like to dispel and really uh, challenge people to challenge their own assumptions. Yeah. Wow. Can I just play off of that for a second? Yeah, because that, absolutely. That, that is something, you know, what she was, what she just mentioned about running for those who can't is I think that probably 99% of the people that are going to listen to this or on live will think that you have to run on your leg. And that's something in the para world. If someone's in a wheelchair, if they're in a racing chair, they're running. Exactly. So when you say, you know, I run for those who can't, if someone is in a wheelchair and they are wheeling themselves, if they're in a running race, they're running. So that's the misconception that I think people don't understand. Yeah, totally. That's such a good point, Doug. And it becomes, you know, kind of the second nature when once you're in the community, you, you look at the, you look at it as just normal, but maybe to someone else, it's like, that's not running or, you know, that's not the same thing. But I think it's so important to recognize, you know, these new sports that have developed I mean, there's, there's no one sport that's better than another. It's just different. And, you know, whether it's hand cycling, you know, push rim, um, you know, it might not be as top, you know, in the same regard as like basketball or football, um, but it's still just as an incredible sport. Uh, you know, there's not one that's better or worse. It's just different. And I think that's a really important aspect for people to recognize as part of the Paralympic movement, that the Paralympic sports aren't any less than. It's just a different way of playing a sport and it's it's really really cool and so i'd encourage people to watch the new documentary that's out on netflix called rising phoenix that documents the paralympic movement um absolutely incredible and it's part of a really in, uh, incredible wave that's happening right now in terms of access to sport for the disability community and i'm looking forward for forest stomp and for we just felt like running to kind of ride that wave and bring that to congress so yeah, well, thank you guys for educating us, honestly, and even some of those misconceptions and some of us just aren't aware, right? And, you know, some that have, have thought that way, I think it, it just kind of reframes our thought process and 
you know, we're big uh, believers here in the healthy runner community uh, that honestly anyone can run. And so whether you're able-bodied or you do have a disability, I think there is a way. Um, and we've talked a lot about access today, but for those who are able-bodied and they never ran in their whole life, um, there are many people and there are many people I've worked with that, you know, there is a way to do it if you learn the strategies, do it correctly. And I kind of uh, think about that movie Ratatouille where anyone can cook. I, I think, you know, anyone can run, right? Um, so if you want to do it and you are listening to this and, you know, you're thinking about taking it up, there is a way you can start out super slow and there's a way to kind of eventually build up to where you are running. And I think, you know, I've been educated today as well by Nicole and Doug here that, you know, running does not only mean on two legs, right? So there are many different forms of running. So thank you guys for educating me on that. We, in kind of summary here, for those that are jumping on here now, or you're catching the end of this podcast episode, we really got into, you know, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the barriers that there are for individuals um, who do have disabilities. Um, and we, we not only talked about those with limb loss, but we talked about those who have neurologic conditions such as spinal cord injuries. We talked about visually impaired athletes and what are some of the programs out there that are available um, to these athletes and how can we, um, you know, bring about some change. And Nicole shared um, a lot of what Far Stump is doing um, to bring about some of that change. And it is uh, pretty amazing. Some of the programs out there, Doug shared um, his involvement with the Gaylord Sports Association, as well as some of the other organizations who are doing some great things um, for these athletes. So I'm sure there are going to be many people who listen to this and learn something new. And if they would like to learn more, where can they find out more about this? We just felt like running movement, Nicole. Yeah, just head on over to forestump.org, two hours in forest, and you'll find everything you need on there, including a tab called Take Action, where you can sign the petition and also sign up for a race. Excellent. So guys, those who are here on the Facebook Live, thank you first and foremost for jumping on here and listening to what we had to talk about tonight. Um, if you found this talk helpful, I just ask if you don't mind just hitting that like, hit the love button. Um, if you're watching within our Facebook group, uh, just to show Nicole and Doug a little bit of love and you know, tell them thank you and appreciate them for taking the time out to share uh, some of this, this honestly well-needed well information to get out there to the public um, and their experience and sharing some of the stories of either in Nicole's case, you know, herself or even some of her friends, as well as um, a lot of the athletes that Doug that you have coached. Um, and guys, if you're listening to this on the podcast, please share this episode with a friend who just needs a little bit more awareness. And the more people that um, we can uh, let know about this movement and the need for some change so we can get some equality, um, the better off we'll be and we'll be able to help out our fellow athletes um, who are looking to stay healthy. We're all about staying healthy here. If you're listening to this show, you're all about staying healthy, right? It's in our title. So we want everyone to be healthy. So the more you can share this out with people that you know um, who might be able to make a difference, then uh, the better off. So thank you so much again, Nicole. Uh, thank you, Doug, for taking the time to educate us. Um, I appreciate you guys coming on here. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks for the time, Dwayne. Yeah, and, and thank you for those listening uh, on Facebook, um, on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel, or if you're catching this on the podcast. Remember, every Monday night at 8 p.m., we go live within the Healthy Runner Facebook group. So keep us in mind on your schedule so you can get your running questions answered. And thank you guys again. Remember, stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time. Hey, wait a minute. Just to let you guys know, much of what you heard on this episode is delivered live within our Healthy Runner free Facebook group. So head over to there to request to join our community in which you will have access to the video version of this episode and so many bonus features, including blog article references and YouTube video links, as well as me answering your specific running related questions. Also, we are closing in on 50 reviews on iTunes, which I am super pumped about given we're only six months into this podcast journey together. So to help me get there, the first thing you need to do is you have to subscribe to the sucker, whether it is Apple iTunes that you're listening to this or whatever platform you are on. The next thing is make sure you leave a review. I love to hear what you have to say, and I read all of them, and it means a lot to me. The last thing, guys, is take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it on your stories on Instagram and tag me. That's at SparkYourTraining. If you do this, I will repost it so you'll get a bump, I'll get a bump, and most importantly, we will share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them be healthy and stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, and tag me in it. Let's try and get to 50 reviews on the podcast. Thanks for listening.